Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Back to the TARDIS podcast, the podcast where we take a look at every single episode of the 2005 revival of BBC's Doctor Who. I'm Jeff. I am Skylar. Uh, and I am the internet's musical cue ball, Anthony Fantano. <laughs> and this week, we are discussing series Three, episode 10 blink by Stephen Moffat uh, this has the very lofty position of being probably the most well known episode of the new series and one of the most acclaimed which is kind of interesting when you think about it because like it's one of the most like unorthodox ones well, I think that's why it ended up being so acclaimed, because it's not a very conventional plot structure. It's I mean, there's just, that. I, I think it's of... also, like, I think part of the reason why is because it's got an interesting concept. It's just got a good monster design. That's basically yeah. it. It's just a good 45-minute <laughs> sci-fi story. Um, I will say the really funny thing about that, though is that this was the episode was basically like an afterthought like Moffat was going to do another two-parter this season but that didn't work out so he essentially threw himself on the hand grenade of having to write the cheap Dr. Light episode and wrote it fast enough that it basically went to recording went to shooting after like two uh, drafts of the script like this this was a, a quick job and it took him like a year or two to be like oh this is the one that everyone is like wow this is really sick because yeah he didn't really like he just this is literally the equivalent of him just like sitting down and writing fucking gold like entirely on accident it's also good that this is a very early episode of his because i Obviously, having go gone through, like, we've lived through Moffat's run, I can see a lot of Moffatisms, but they're, like, very new, and they're not worn out yet. Yeah. So it's, like, all, yeah. like, really engaging and charming, and I'm just like, thank goodness this came out here. Um, yeah. But yeah. Also, yeah. Also, I will say this is definitely, like, the first part of the show where I'm going to unequivocally be saying this is all Moffat and not RTD, partly because RTD has been on record of being like, I didn't ever touch Steven's scripts, and also because he literally didn't have time to touch these script the script, because they just were like, okay, cool, let's film it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I will say... This is one of the the cold open here where she's in the house and and finds the message for her in the wallpaper is probably the best cold open the show has had. Not gonna it's lie. A, it's a pretty spicy one, yeah. Like it it's <laughs> like it just sets up basically everything of like what is this episode about in like a scene basically. You have the fact just... that it's not the Doctor. You have the fact that somehow the Doctor knows what's going to happen, even though he had to have done the the, the, the writing on the walls part of it in the past, and you have the angels. 
Yeah, and it's just immediately like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's also pretty interesting that most of the episode, like, I, I if I remember correctly, about two-thirds of it is just, like, getting the plot going. Yeah. It, it, it's mostly all just this sort of mystery suspense sort of thing of, like, literally what the fuck is happening. Yeah. And you don't, like, really this, uh... find out about the angels until about two-thirds into the episode. Yeah. The other thing is, um... Oh... The, so, like, I feel like a lot of the time on Doctor Who, a lot of, like, the time that we, like, a monster is like, oh, this wasn't that great, especially in classic, it's a case where, like, the idea was interesting, but they didn't have the budget or the know-how to pull it off correctly. This is the opposite. This is cheap as hell, but they wrote around it being cheap as hell and made it work. Because it's literally just someone made up to be a statue or an actual... Well, actually, no, I'm pretty sure every time it is it is someone made up to be a statue. But, like, they don't... There's no moving parts, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it is super shoestring budget, but it works. Like, yeah, there's no to its lasers. Advantage. There's no particle effects there's like literally like the like the most intensive we get is when it flickers the light on and off at the uh, in the climax <laughs> of the episode like that's it it's it's a really cheap monster design and one of the most effective partly because of the limitations that they had to work around like i think that's honestly like one of the most fascinating parts of this is realizing that, like, like, it has, like, the reputation that it has, but, like, nobody went into this thinking, yeah, we're gonna make one of the best episodes of the show. They're like, let's just make something that is cheap and can fill a slot that doesn't have to have David and Freema on it 24-7 so we can film something else at the same time. Oh, definitely. It's, it's very... It's very good and clever in that way because it, like, it oozes atmosphere, yet when you, like, if you wrote down the locations in which this episode takes place, it's all, like, it all seems very domestic. The characters yeah. aren't anything, a like, house, exciting or out of this world. A police station. A movie store. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, it's because of the monsters and because of, like, and honestly, the the directing choices and, like, the audio design, like, everything makes this yeah. episode work. And, yeah, it's it's the Weeping Angels' best showcase, and uh, unfortunately, they didn't get better from there. But, you know what? We're here right yeah. now. We're happy. Yeah, it's no, great. I'm, I'm just gonna... I, I say this. I, I have this in my notes, and I wrote it at a later point in the episode. But since you just brought it up, I'm going to put it out here. I don't think they should have come back again. Or... Yeah, I don't think any other time that they would have come back would have been effective as this one because this episode is literally tailor-made to make them work perfectly because there's the the time shenanigan part of it. So the story here makes sense because nobody act nobody has a TARDIS. Like the Doctor and Martha got ambushed um, so they don't have access to time travel, so the whole plot is getting their machine back to them so they can get out. And, of course, our main characters don't have time travel because they're normal people. So, 
what happens is in flesh and stone yes you have time travel but it's also a two-parter you don't really have the time travel because they don't they can't run back to the tardis but it's a two-parter and they completely ditch the time shenanigan part of it to just be oh these are basically teleport spamming people who will just actually just straight up kill people by snapping their necks and at that point i'm just like what is the point of having this be the angels if the only thing that remains is the you have to look at them part like it's yeah. the angels to work that you have to have both of the things it's not just don't look at it it's don't look at it and they send you instead of just straight up killing you they send you back in time to live out your whole life there's like no time shenanigans in uh flesh and stone at all yeah i would which is crazy for an a for a, a speed for like a race of enemy of uh, aliens that is so time shenanigan based yeah and um on the note of flesh and stones also god what is it if you look at them too much they end up in your eyes or something okay i I don't that's not necessarily a bad idea in concept i think it's everything else that like it, it it serves it's a good way of making like okay even the just stare at them thing isn't a perfect defense which is a, a good way of twisting the formula the problem is everything else they do <laughs> yeah that that's what i am we'll get there eventually but that's basically how i feel in in blink there the episode is tailored for them and the execution is basically yeah. perfect this is my dad's favorite yeah. doctor who episode for a reason and in and in series five it makes sense theoretically why they'd be there but the execution minus like two things is just terrible but and then yeah and then um fucking angels take manhattan works a, it brings the time shenaniganry stuff back but the fatal flaw is because they have easy access to the tardis they have to come up with bullshit to explain why they can't just use it yeah and, it, and it's and very I... flimsy like the whole like oh you can't do like you can't i can't go back and get them because of time storm so i'm like just fly to utah in the same year or like a completely different place and tell them to get like a taxi or whatever it's not that hard <laughs> okay they so have to come very, up with arcane bullshit very very uh, i yeah. will i will only take us down this side tangent like a little bit because we should get back to this episode because it's actually brilliant but my whole thinking on that was that even if he could go back the reason he can't is because now it's a fixed point in time because he's read their names on the gravestone and he's already you know fucked with paradoxes enough that like okay but the thing is is that no no because all that means all that means is that they have to have gone back to that time and died at some point not that that was it it's very flimsy. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get there. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Point and, being, uh, they work and, best and here. Have, yeah, and to that note, that they work best here. I, I I think the Weeping Angels have this sort of Dalek Borg problem. Uh, where you have like a species that's like really strong, and you start out with having one, or, you know, one, or in this case, you know, four of them, and they're like super terrifying and overpowering. And you're like, yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's, okay. the, 
It's the alien versus aliens then... comparison, which is literally the comparison that Moffat made. And while I, I, Aliens is still a good movie, it's a little bit of a different case because it's a movie, not a TV show. It's not like the Daleks where they show up every year and get smacked around and are never as terrifying or imposing as they were that uh, in uh, series one. Yeah, and, and that's the point I'm trying to make. You have this sort of problem where first you have like one or two of them, and then it's like, oh, well, it's like this thing is so overpowered, just like one of them is like totally fucking with everything, right? And then yeah. where do you go from there? Well, then you have more of them. And, you know, you have that with the dogs, you have that with the boys, and you have that with the weeping angels. You have the next one where there's more of them, and then they're not as scary because then you beat a bunch more of them. And then, you know, maybe you fuck around with it. You have, like, some sort of philosophical one with them where it's, like, a different sort of this one. And then after that, you have nowhere to go. You just sort of spam them at the audience every once in a while to be like, ooh, this guy's back. Look, he's back. Isn't that cool? It's the guy. It's the guy again, you know? And they do that with the dogs, and they do that with the boys. They're, they're not, they haven't done it quite as much with the Weeping Angels, but it's like that sort of the yeah. point where they're getting to. Where I feel yeah, like if definitely. they had them again, there's not much more you could do with them. I mean, unless there's just, unless Chibnall turns out to be some amazing writer who really knows how to do the Weeping Angels. I don't uh, think, I, I don't think, anything. I don't think the Weeping Angels are coming back without Moffat. I'm just going to put that out there right yeah. now. I don't think it's going to happen. And, uh, and I think that's okay, honestly. That's when I think is like, all right, we've had our fun. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. So yeah, we we have the uh, the the uh, cold open where she finds the uh, the uh, the writing on the wall and gets scared off and then our opening credits. And then of course she ropes her, her friend Kathy in to go, go to the house. Um, one thing actually that the rock throwing me reminded me of, there's like this weird, like, I think the one thing that kind of feels weirder about the episode to me is the fact that, um, Oh, man. Uh, sorry. Uh, so, like, there's kind of this weird inconsistency sometimes where sometimes they are very sort of malicious and, like, play around with the their targets, like, when they throw the rock through the window or, um they start flickering the lights or whatever. And then there's sometimes mainly for everyone else who isn't Sally in this episode where they just instantly deal with people. Like they don't play around with them. And I I feel like it's kind of weird how like inconsistent they are at times about that. I don't know. Well, at a certain point uh, aren't they I, really I mean, looking for the key? So if they just send her back, true. that like fucks that up. But she doesn't that's, have the key at the very beginning. True. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't necessarily dislike the idea of them being, like, very sort of malicious and, like, the, the, the sense that they're, like, playing with their food, almost. Um, But, at the same time, it's not consistent. 
And th it's not that much of a deal breaker, but it is kind of weird. It's just more of a plot convenience, in my opinion, than anything. Like, like you said, it went through two scripts. They were probably like, "All right, there's really no yeah. like." Uh, yeah, yeah, like, that is that is true. <laughs> but yeah, I like, think that is like the one place where it being written really quickly shows, and everything else is really solid. Oh yeah, the the amount of stuff that works in this episode, it's like. It's one of those, like, one-in-a-million things where just everything, almost everything comes yeah. together and, like, creates Blink, for in for instance. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking the Powerpuff Girls intro where it's, like, cool monster design, efficient writing, time shenanigans. These were the three ingredients... Steve and Moffat included, uh, mixed together to create the perfect Doctor... I, I mean, I don't think it's the perfect Doctor episode, but the perfect Doctor Who episode. <laughs> okay, can I can I talk about briefly one, like, Moffatism that kind of, like, started to bother me in this episode? Uh... Yeah, I'm gonna take a guess to figure out as to... I'm gonna, like, go ahead, I'm just gonna, like, quietly, like, mentally guess and try and figure out what it is. Okay, so at this point, I mean, it it get it gets the most bad with River and debatably Vastra and Jenny, but just how like characters like they have a lot of personality, but they like sh there's like lines that are meant to be clever that eventually just got annoying to me. Like, I'm probably not explaining this very well, but the one instance I can think of is when Sally and I forget her friend's name, go back to the house, and she's just like, I like feeling sad. It's like happy for deep people. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. That is, <laughs> like, I, like that I've known sounds people. Like a that sounds like a 13-year-old writing, like, Kingdom Hearts fan fiction in 2008. Let's say, yeah, around, around the time <laughs> 358 came out. 2008. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was just like... I mean, exactly. It, it, it was just one thing that, like, immediately took me out of the episode, and it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I, I can see how Moffat, like, slowly went down this train of just, like, characters having quirks and occasionally saying, like, really stupid shit that probably sounds clever, but isn't. Like, that's the one area where it, like, okay, really yeah. bothered me, but, yeah. that was... Yeah, no, I, I thought, uh, I thought that you were going to, um... I, I thought that you were going to comment on the fact of the, the thing. I mean, I guess this doesn't happen as much as it does because the only other time I can think of it, like, really happening is um, Time of the Doctor. But, like, his thing where it's just, like, person be naked, naked person funny. Oh, yeah, that is it. That is a thing. <laughs> um... I mean, at least it's significantly less cringe here than it is in Time of the Doctor. And, and it makes sense, because, like, yeah, it's his house. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, I, I, have, noth I have nothing more to add. It, it's just... And it didn't bother me at the time when I was, like, a, like younger watching it, but, again, having gone through the 11 era, and less so the yeah. 12 era, it, it just stuck out to me. At least it's not the one fucking line that he has where it's like 
Oh, man. Oh, what, what is the episode where he has the line about Clara where he's like a, a mystery wrapped in an enigma wrapped with like something about like her skirt? And, and it's like really just weird. A bit too tight. Yeah, and, then, and like, it's like really so uncomfortably weird. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it just. The, you can sort of see the Tumblr quirk that made Matt Smith really popular with Tumblr girls, like, starting to peek out in this episode. Like, I, I, you kind of barely, barely can see it in, um, uh, Empty Child, with yeah. just, like, Jack and Jenner, the way he is, the sort of, like, quirkiness and the whole, like, sort of dancing thing in that episode. I mean, yes, uh, but also that's Jack, and, and you know, John Barrowman has yes, the thing where yes. he's just got the charisma where he can just sell anything. Exactly, exactly. And Moffat is always trying to do that with people who aren't John Barrowman. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so in this episode, you sort of had the, had the two main characters who, like... I don't know what they do, they're just sort of like weird dreamer people, and like the boyfriend's like weird and quirky, and he owns the video store, and they like, he's a weird nerdy guy, ah, but then they're actually like good together or something, and it's just like, yeah. I did like the actors yeah, who did the detective. Like yeah. Yeah, like no, here, and I'm, yeah. It's uh, it's just that you can see how sort of later he sort of repeatedly flanderizes that to just a point where it gets to be like this person exists now they are a star child dreamer kid who looks up into the stars and gazes and thinks about adventure uh. yeah yeah no I mean we all know we all know Moffat does have a little bit of it, of the incurable case of the uh, the uh, manic pixie dream person trope. Yeah. Because let's be real, that's what Eleven is. Exactly. Which is why Eleven and Clara is like a weird mismatch because they're both that. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, that's why Clara works a lot better with 12, who is yes. not that. Yeah, so, yeah, and then, of course, you, you have, I will, like, this, I think this scene is absolutely fantastic, where it's simultaneously, like, at the same time that Sally is getting the letter that Kathy from the future from the past is sending, Sally is getting sent back to the past. Oh, sorry, not Sally. Kathy is getting sent back to the past. Where it's like, the fact that these two things are happening at the same time is like one of the more inventive uses of time travel in the show. Like, I, I actually, I had a thought too, actually. I, I have it, I think, a little bit la later down. Yeah. The fact that this episode uses the fact that this universe has time travel to do something other than just using it as the mechanic that gets the characters to where the episode is set. Like, I was watching fucking... I've been watching... Like, I, I haven't finished it yet, but I've been watching fucking, like, season two of The Umbrella Academy, and I'm like, I can't believe this show is using time travel in a more interesting way than fucking Doctor Who. Like, I, admittedly, I feel like it shouldn't be overused, 
because that can lead to a lot of problems. But I feel like, in general, there is, like, not nearly as many episodes that actually take advantage of the fact that the Doctor has a fucking time machine. And that scene is impeccably yeah. well-paced, too, with, yeah. like, the tension and everything. And there, there, that sequence could have easily been a mess where you're just like, okay, wait, what's happening? This isn't very interesting. Let's get back to her. Oh, she, you know, what's happened to her now? Yeah. But it's, like, it's all very clear and investing yeah. um yeah um and then yeah then she she reads the letter um and then, yeah, she goes to the DVD store, and we get, like, the, like, the few, one of the few cameo appearances of the Doctor and Martha through the, the DVD, um, which I, yeah, uh, they get the DVDs, and she goes to the police, um, I know he's a cop, but how do we feel about Billy? All right, all right. Here's my thinking. He has a redemption arc built into the episode. Oh because... shit! You're right. You're right. And we meet him. He goes to the 60s. He, he goes to the 60s. Realizes what cops are actually about. Like he literally says, "I quit being a cop," and, and that that implies that he didn't just like. It's not that just that he was unable to be a cop in the 60s, which, you know, would be a reasonable assumption. It implies that he he decided to stop being a cop and instead went into video publishing. And, like, basically, he has a built-in cop redemption arc where he realizes that being a cop is bad, and he realizes that it goes against the interests of, uh, you know, just everything <laughs> cops are bad yeah yeah you're right you're right i didn't even i didn't even think about that dude you're right fuck we, uh, we even meet him and he's off duty it's like yeah he, he's yeah. just there to exposit and to flirt and then plus like it looks like his only job was just to like look at like the weird shit going on at the house like, he doesn't ever actually do anything else in the episode. And admittedly, he doesn't show up that much. But, you know. Um. Uh. Yeah. I will say there... Yeah. Um. So yeah, then Billy gets zapped and we see the Doctor and Martha. And yeah, all these, there's definitely a sense of like, you can tell that some of these lines really fit Eleven well, but there's definitely like things where like he's like the, the thing where he's like, this is my timey-wimey detector. It goes ding when there's stuff. Also, it can boil an egg at 30 paces and then the 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 little side note about the chicken where it's like okay that that part about the chicken i can see 11 or 12 saying also isn't that yeah. like the, 
don't they call that forward into the 50th where he has that other device where it's like it's a it's a device that goes ding like that's what it made me think of <laughs> yes when it's like yeah, pulled back later yeah. and that's written by moffat i think so yeah i know it is ni- nice nice call back slash call forward yeah um let's see here oh yeah and then the the scene with uh billy which yeah i i i i will say it's not i like i kind of like this scene better than the one with kathy because kathy just disappears and you don't have that that reunion here it's very like like this is definitely like the interesting thing of like the fact that like this person was on screen like minutes ago and now they're uh just they now you see them and they're uh old as fuck during the same rainfall yeah like shit (laughs) yeah yeah that's such like an interesting idea Um. Yeah, this is very good time fucking in this episode. Yeah, and then of course the the amazing bit of like she figures out that the thing that all the uh, DVDs have in common is they're all the ones that she owns, which is uh, Pogarino. Yeah, that was a nice little like oh it comes together moment. Oh. Yeah, like oh my god. The fucking guy is like, you only have 17 DVDs. <laughs> and see, here's the... Re- like, yeah. I mean, I, I just wonder if she... Wonder if she, like, ac- like, what it would be like if she accidentally found it. Like, before the episode. Because, like, yeah. Okay, so here's here's a plot question that has kind of been bothering me. Why do they decide to go back to the house with the things that can definitely fuck them up to, like, do this. That, oh, that's probably yeah, that's an element true. Of the I didn't even think about that. I think that's just so you, you have that that horror aspect to it where it's like, oh, fuck, they're coming, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it it's such an episode that grabs you in the moment. It's, like, only when yeah. you think back later. And, so you know, I, even I don't with that, it. I'm not really going to be, like... I'm not gonna be super like, oh, this is, like, trash, because, like, whatever, like, um, like, they, like, oh, this is trash because they fucking, um, like, this one plot hole, but, you know, yeah. Um... Yeah, I will, especially because the other thing is that aside from that plot hole, the transcript scene is literally, like, a perfect scene. Like, I, like, I, I, I mentioned last week that, like, the last 15 minutes of, of Family of Blood is just one long, perfect scene. I don't think that's necessarily the case here, but the, 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 the part where they're they're doing the transcript and they're essentially having this pseudo conversation is i think a perfect scene we can also add it onto the list of things that chibnall borrowed for series 12 yeah 
Um, But yeah, yeah, this is just one of the, yeah, this is, di yeah, it's just, yeah, there's just something about this scene where it's like, yeah, like, I can see Stephen Moffat getting hired as future showrunner off of this scene alone. Like, forget Empty Child, forget, you know, everything else. If he had just written this scene, I still would have been like, make this person showrunner after RTD left. And then there's Chibnall. Yeah. What are you right? Uh, yeah. No, I, I have a, you know, I've said this, but I have a very sneaking suspicion that Chibnall got the part because he was someone who was left, who had like done work on both RTD and Moffat era, and had run Torchwood and had done Broadchurch. And he was there. That was basically like, yeah. It's basically just he did a lot of things. He didn't do too. He didn't do them too well, but he did a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, and then then you have the uh, the 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 scene where Larry is stuck having to, uh, like stare at an angel while Sally tries and finds a way out uh which I feel like probably is a good time Avery for you to come reference your uh your tweet right like you can literally just close one eye and then open it close the other eye and then open it and then close the other eye you know it's tricky but when your life depends on it you can do it. Or you can alternatively have both eyes open and close one at a time with your fingers. Yeah. Uh, just to make sure that yeah. you're not... And the, yeah. You know, you're not There's a lot of ways you can get around this, basically. Like, does it count if you're using a mirror? That can get you a lot of space. Just hold up yeah. your phone, and then you can see it behind you from around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, no, and there's, there's, um... Oh man. Uh fuck. What was I going to say? Uh Oh, I mean, the one thing that I would say is that that like the other thing is like then you get the thing where they flicker the lights, so like that only works if you're in a naturally lit area because they can't turn off the sun. But yes. Yeah. It is, it is, you're still not completely safe. And you're definitely not safe if we go with fucking flesh and stone cannon, but we're not getting into that. Um, I was thinking so yeah. of during the scene where uh, the angel is, like, taking out the light. Is like, if this was, if this was done a couple of years later when, like, literally everyone's phone has a flashlight that you can just, like access yeah. right from the home screen like okay maybe the angels could then take out the phone too but it like it buys you time it's just one of those things where it's like okay this is fiction cell phones solve like almost all problems like yeah we're walking we're walking <laughs> uh um 
So yeah, then they, they find the TARDIS in the basement and get in it. I will say the one other plot hole is, how the fuck does them externally rocking the TARDIS affect the interior? That doesn't make any... Yeah. The show's very inconsistent about, like, what... Yeah. Like, in the 50th, the helicopter, yeah. like, brings it up and they feel that, so it's like, you know, whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, it is super fucking weird. Um, let's see. Yeah, um, and, and another question I had is, like, okay, so, so, oh, when okay. the TARDIS leaves behind... One of our one of our uh, uh, one of our correspondents has just let us know that uh, apparently if the engines are on the TARDIS does not have stabilization. Uh, good to know. Uh, uh, and what I want the, the the one thing that, you know again these are all nitpicks they're not actually big criticisms but like okay so so they're they're together when the TARDIS dematerializes so when it does they're together in the middle of the angels but like what if they had stayed on like a a separate side of the control room how would that have worked like where would they have shown up when the TARDIS leaves without them like that's what I was thinking when I was watching that scene like yeah yeah no it is there is even with that there's kind of like the sense of like what are you trying to accomplish here yeah it's yeah, you know, it works well enough as a conclusion. It's like yeah. one last yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like that. one last like oh shit. But then you know, just the logistics of how the TARDIS leaving someone behind while they're in the TARDIS is kind of fucky. It's like how would that work? But whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah, I will say the, the denouement of this is really great where, like, they, of course, like, I feel like, how do they even, how do the angels get dealt with in the other two episodes? I don't even remember that, whereas, like, I will always remember the, they get trapped because they're in a circle, so they're all looking at each other. Like, that's so effortlessly, like, oh, yeah, that's it. And it's one of those things that you can never use again. But that one time that you use it, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then the, the denouement here where, uh, like, they, they figure out, like, oh, the reason how you knew all this happened was because we handed this binder to you in our future but your past which i you know there is something to say about how like stephen moffat um gets a little bit into complexity addiction overload when we get into some of eleven shit like fucking wedding of river song wedding of river song is fucking like what is even happening here and like yeah series six is a problem but the and definition here, like, of when fucking you actually, bonkers. When you actually, like, say it out here, like, it's super complicated, but it all makes sense. So, like, it's there's an interesting thing of, like, I can see where, like, some of the bad habits started, but they're good here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, when, I heard, when I heard the line, like, oh, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm a time traveler, not everything happens in the right order. I was just like, oh, yeah, that... We'll hear that again, but, um... Yeah. 
Yeah, in a, yeah. In a self-contained story like this that yeah. doesn't go over multiple arcs and seas and series, it works a lot better. Um, so yeah. Um, and then there's the, the, the fucking... I will say I kind of get the vibe that they were going to going for where they like they, at the very end they they play the the don't blink part of the thing again was showing off a bunch of statues but now I can't think like that is forever tainted by the whole like the Statue of Liberty is an angel bullshit pull from Angels Take yep. Manhattan where it's just like fuck you <laughs> Yeah, I thought of that, too. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I literally completely forgot about that. Holy fuck. Yeah. Are they trying to say that all statues are angels? I think there's some bullshit rule that they come up with in Angels Take Manhattan that was also stupid that basically is just like, Guys, the Statue of Liberty is a fucking angel. It's the, this would look cool on a poster method of storytelling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's whack. Um, so yeah, uh, anything else before we move on to, uh, uh, anything else before we move on to ratings? I'm good. So, moving on to ratings. Uh, this episode is pretty fucking poggin. Um... I mentioned last week that, well, I think uh, human nature and this are both 10s. They do very different things, like human nature is a, a 10 for its very sort of deep writing and themes, whereas this is a 10 because it's the other like side of the like Doctor Who good episode spectrum, where it's just an interesting idea that's just executed perfectly, and yeah... I think any plot holes and problems that I have with it are, like, completely uh, rolled over by the fact that, like, this episode was basically written in two drafts and on, like, a really short time scale. Like, the fact that they managed to get solid gold out of something that would kill a lesser episode is amazing. And because of that, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Yeah, uh, this this episode is iconic. Um, obviously, you, I, I know people who don't know anything about Doctor Who who know this episode. Um, this is my dad's favorite episode. This is the episode I introduced my uncle to Doctor Who with, and he's and to this day. So obviously, there's something that clicks in it, um, despite the few Moffatisms that you know grow to be somewhat. Eh. In later years, um, they're all utilized pretty well here, um, and it's it's charming and it's interesting and it's super atmospheric. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely another ten out of ten in this series. Yeah, it's pretty fucking good. Um, you know, like Jeff said, it, 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 it's it's sort of that opposite end of the spectrum where it's not too much into like big deepness and like character moments it's just sort of hey here's a really cool fucking monster and here's 45 minutes of some people dealing with it uh and it's a good fine time 
Like overall, it's just very well directed. It's very well composed. It has an interesting concept. My one sort of drawback to it is that the side characters, or I shouldn't say side characters, the main characters of the episode, being that they are main characters, are not that interesting. Genuinely, I think there are more memorable like side characters from other Tenant episodes. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, Satan Pit. Uh, yeah. Just for the characters that are supposed but, to be But to be fair, episode, to be fair, Satan Pit is a two-parter. Yeah, no. And so I, they I, do I have that. more time. But, but, those are side characters who probably end up getting around as much screen time as these two characters get in this episode. So, if you're talking about runtime and screen time, you know, if you're talking about runtime, then sure, there's a two-parter there, uh, so there's more runtime. But if you're talking about, like, the screen time of the actual characters, uh, they have about the same amount, I'd, I'd wager, uh, and, you know, obviously, some of that time is, like, how do I put this? You know, with the two-parters, some of the time is, like, dedicated to the characters, whereas uh, some of it is dedicated to the plot. And here, if you try to do both, it would be a little bit harder. But still, I think that relative to the amount of time that they had on screen, they were underdeveloped. That's, like, my one sort of very minor drawback. I don't think it hurts the episode that much, but it's just, like, my my main sort of, like, this is what I think the episode could have really improved a bit. Overall, though, I still think it's a 9 out of 10 episode. I think it's a very, very good episode. I, it, it is understandably classic. It is just my own personal criticism of it. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah that's fun. fair. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I didn't feel like I could give it a 9 just because, like, yes, it's not quite as high as, like, the lofty heights of last week, but it's still like, really damn good. Um, anyways... Next week, we will be discussing in one big episode uh, Utopia, The Sound of Drums, and Last of the Time Lords, um, and we will be doing No Torchwood uh, that week because we're doing the last two episodes of Series 1 this week, so let's move on to that segment now. Uh, so this week we are talking about uh, series one episodes. Uh, I believe it's twelve and thirteen. Yeah, uh, Captain Jack Harkness and End of Days. Um, I am personally of the opinion that Captain Jack Harkness is pretty good and actually an interesting thing for this week because we're it's also an episode where part of the cast of the episode is trapped in the past and trying to send messages to the cast in the future to get them out of there um but it is yeah. it's also a very good episode for jack so i i actually liked it um end of days is fucking trash it's terrible it sucks so much i'm gonna have some controversial opinions here <laughs> oh boy <laughs> Okay. Uh, you wanna you wanna go out? You wanna go off with those? Oh, should, should, should I just go in? All right. I think that I, I liked End of Days more than I liked Captain Jack Harkness. I don't think either are that great, but I think that End of Days is better. <laughs> okay. Well, here's here's my here's my thing, right? So, 
Captain Jack Harkness. Um, well, I admit I wasn't, like, necessarily playing, like, quite as much attention as I would if I was watching, like, a main Doctor Who episode. It's got very good character moments for Jack, and it's got that interesting plot hook of them shifting back and forth. Yes, it has the problem that kind of goes through both of these episodes where, like, the plot only happens because Owen's being a bitch. Or, like, it only plays out the way that it's playing out because Owen's being a bitch, but, like... Yeah, I think it's I think it's good, and I think the 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 scenes with Jack in that episode are very very good, and the rest of it is like kind of like oh that's interesting. End of Days has very real problems with the fact that they're very clearly trying to go with an RTD style like big fucking like deal like must see television finale, but they have no money, like. All these things happen and are either, like, dealt with entirely off-screen or appear for, like, five seconds and then they move on. And then there's the weird, like, plot of, like, Diane and other people who have died being, like, open the rift. Um, and, uh, is, as mentioned, Owen being a bitch. And then, <clears throat> like... And then, like, they reveal the big fuck-off monster for, like, five minutes, which kills a bunch of people in the cheapest effect possible, because it's just, they shadow kill, and then they have Jack deal with it, which, because it's also a really cheap effect that doesn't have any visual tell other than a shadow, just looks like he's standing around screaming in a field until he falls over, and that, that, they did it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they try to actually have the gall to try and be like, Jack's totally dead for real this time, guys, until Gwen kisses him and he's like, oh, hey, I'm back now. Fuck this episode. It did not earn an ounce of its spectacle. Yeah. Except for Owen being a bitch, because, you know, that par for the course. Yeah. And, like, I, I just, I have that, like, Series 2 manages to do this so much better while still, like, maybe having a little bit more budget, but still, like, not having nearly as much. And part of that is because the stakes are still high, but it's still not nearly as world-ending catastrophic. The stakes are high because there's an emo- like, emotionally stakes are high, not literally world-ending stakes are high. All right, all right. Um, I agree. I agree that it is a bad episode. Uh, it's pretty, like you said, all over the place, painfully low budget and trashy. But I felt it was campy and goofy enough that I enjoyed it more than what was essentially me tuning out Captain Jack Harkness because God, okay. I could not follow that episode. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's that's fair, but at the same time, it's meant to be taken dead seriously. Like, it's not supposed to be camp at all. I, and, I understand and it's not that. even, like, entertaining yeah, and, like, I, like, it's, like, like, there's, like, you know, there's, like, day one, or, like, the first, like, f like 30 minutes of Cyberwoman, where it's, like, this is so bad, it's good. This is not that. This is just bad. And see, like, okay, I'm not, I'm not saying it's so bad, it's good, 
but it is bad in a way that I get some enjoyment out of it to where I was able to consistently follow it for the whole episode and like not just totally tune it out. Whereas with Captain Jack Harkness, I don't know what it, I, I just, the story was not engaging to me at all. And I just completely tuned it out. And like, as you, you know, I sort of kind of missed a lot of the plot just because I could not pay attention to it. All right. Um, I mean, yeah, so, that 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 is that so that is fair. I guess it is. It is a very slow burner of an episode. My subjective enjoyment of End of Days was considerably higher than my subjective enjoyment of um, Captain Jack Harkness. That's all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Part is subjective. I'm kidding, <laughs> kidding, kidding. I'm not. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those. People. Uh, all right, uh, Skylar. I mean, I'm I'm more I'm more alongside uh, you, Jeff. It just even though I didn't like necessarily like love Captain Jack Harkness, just compared to what follows it, I just I didn't feel like it earned any of what it was trying to do. Um, it isn't the worst finale I've seen, like, and that 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 sounds like I'm like actually shitting on it, but at the same time, it's just like no, this is this is just like standard bad. It wasn't bad enough to cancel the show. It's not like something you'd write in any top ten worst se- season finales list. It's just yeah, no, this is this is forgettable. Aside from like the aside from Owen being a bitch and the CGI monster, that's just like what the fuck is that? Um, and especially compared to what the series three <laughs> Doctor Who finale is, which also includes Jack, it's just like why even go this big if you're immediately like, going to be blown out by something that has like more believable, tangible stakes? It's just like yeah. they could have done a great job keeping it fairly low uh, scale. And having it be more of like a character finale, but maybe a slightly higher than like normal stakes episode. Like I, f- I feel like that could have been a good way to tie this off because again, like character and atmosphere are what Torchwood does best. It doesn't have to have a like world and yeah, it doesn't have to have a big thing. budget. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So though something it better just, than like, like a dead fish and a packet of crisps is is good. But you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I will say, like, I think part of the reason why I liked Captain Jack Harkness more is just because I think the idea of you meet the person whose name you stole and you fall in love with them is a really neat idea, and because it's an idea that basically only needs Jack for it to work, it works because John Barrowman can pull almost anything off. Uh, um oh but, yeah but I yeah agree. i i think i'd give like captain jack harkness like a seven and then end of days like a two yeah pretty much same oh <laughs> i'm up um i would say captain jack is gonna be a a four for me uh, and end of days is going to be a fucking six. Nah, 5.5, 5.5. Uh, all right. 
Um, so yeah, uh, next week, uh, obviously we are not doing any Tortured, but we will be back with our Voyage of the Damned, ep uh, in our Voyage of the Damned episode with the Series 2 opener, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, a much better episode. Um... So yeah, um, uh, until then, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at B2TardisPod, um, and you can support us on Patreon for benefits like, uh, early episode access, uh, access to bonus episodes early and lis uh, listening into the podcast live. On the subject of bonus episodes, we are theoretically going to be recording our next one, um, sometime between when we record, uh, the Series 3 finale episode and when we record our Voyage of the Damned episode. And right now, uh, on our Twitter, a poll is up. We have, uh, four, uh, Seventh Doctor stories. Um, we have Remembrance of the Daleks, uh, Greatest Show in the Galaxy, Curse of Fenric, and Survival. Um... Out of those, we are currently in a three-way tie between... Oh, no, sorry. We're not in a three-way tie anymore. Remembrance has slightly pulled ahead um, with Curse of Fenric and Survival Tide and Greatest Show in last place. So if you would like to hear us talk about Curse of Fenric or Survival, uh, get your votes in before next week's recording and... Uh, the winners will be the, the, the episode that is that won the poll will be announced on next week's uh, podcast um, until then I'm Jeff you can follow me on Twitter at WheatleyDL and on Twitch at WheatleyDLT uh, I like sad things it's like happy for deep people you can find me at skyhigh9 <laughs> underscore 5 Uh, I didn't think of a joke, so I'm Big Pat Penis 69. <laughs> Do you need anything more? Do you need anything more? Honestly, not. Um, anyways. Uh, and we'll see you all next week.